0: Welcome to podcast number 31. I'm your host, Alpha Mike. On this podcast, we're going to talk about how to create school security. It's the hot topic. Everybody in the media is a freaking expert. It costs a gazillion dollars, and nobody really knows how to get it done. Some people have even advocated about giving guns to teachers. Now, I don't know about you, but I can sit back and I can remember my fifth grade teacher in English and thinking about that old lady with a gun is a scary sight. So we're going to talk about that much more on El Police Radio. That's LpoliceRadio.com, and we're going to talk about, well, the hot topic of the day, which is school security. Everybody's an expert. Everybody has an idea. It is scary when you watch eyewitness news in your local area, and there they are sitting behind the desk, and they have all kinds of these ideas on how to do better security, And you, as the audience and the person listening to the media, you're supposed to go, wow, that's right. Wow. That, my friends, is a very scary topic. There's a lot of people talking, talking, talking. The cash register is ringing, ringing, ringing. And the cost is going to be astronomical. So the point is, we're going to have to spend regardless whether we like it or not. And we should because it's for our kids. The left, very intelligently, has placed the emotional aspect on this issue. So it's supposed to move you and gravitate you in such a powerful way that you're supposed to do, according to the left, two things. Relinquish your weapon As you're floating through the air and have such an emotional bond towards what is occurring in these schools, that as you're floating in the air and you just dropped off all your ammunition and all your firepower into the leftist baggage, and you're still floating down the corridor, you reach for your wallet and you start pulling out money and credit cards to pay for everything so that the wacky left has no expense. Everything will be paid by us, the American taxpayer. That's what they would like, but that's not really what they're going to get. But in order to make sure they don't get that, it's time to fight. And we're going to have to really think about how we're going to bring the fight to them. It's no secret, folks, that Right after the event in Parkland, which was horrifying and we know that, uh, the left moved right in. Now Broward County, being a very democratic um, area in Florida, it was no surprise to me. They moved right in. They capitalized on it. Like any socialist, they did not think twice about taking advantage of a tragedy. So they swooped right in and they started uh, reaching for our emotional wallet, our emotional heart, our emotional blood pressure. And we started saying how terrible guns are. But in reality, we know now, because the evidence has come in, so many government agencies failed. Now, we're not going to look at the argument that everybody else has. Well, you're trying to take my gun, and what happened? The government programs that failed. So, we're going to look at this and much more right after we look at the hot topic on L Police News Countdown. We're only going to have one story today, folks. Yeah, that's right, one story. I gave the lady a day off, so I'll just say it. One. One important uh, piece of uh, news that's going out, and this is mostly towards Florida, since I want to concentrate on this and the actual show that we're going to be having today. That's why I brought this one subject up. And it's an article from the Miami Herald, and uh, there are two articles that we're going to be posting on lpoliceradio.com. The first one, Uh, from the Miami Herald, statewide vote could put a new sheriff in town even if Miami-Dade doesn't want it. And we'll post that one. And then there's another follow-up one to that, which basically says, if Miami has a sheriff, he would run, but electing a top cop is a bad idea, he says. And we'll tell you who he is in a a minute. But I'm going to give you a little bit of background. Back in the uh, late 50s, Miami Dade back then was Dade County, they did have a sheriff and it was an elected position. Well, Dade County had a uh, resolution before the entire state of Florida in 1956, which was the Homeland Charter, which kind of rules the Constitution for Miami Dade County. Well, the voters of Florida said, Yeah, yeah, you guys can have your own Constitution, leave us alone. So one of the things that they did was they did away with the sheriff's office, and they made it an appointed position, not an elected constitutional officer. And very rare in Florida, because everybody else gets elected under the Florida Constitution, but Miami-Dade having its own home rule charter, they've gotten away from it since 1957. Now, as a result, the county commissioners of Miami-Dade where it used to be called Dade County, then it was Metropolitan Dade County, and then it was, now it's Miami-Dade County. The county commissioners have always a, uh, through their power of a mayor, which um, elects the individual to be director, usually through the ranks of Miami-Dade Police Department, and the county commissioners vote approval or denied. In most of the cases, they are approved. Miami-Dade Police Department, uh, or if you want to go back metropolitan dade uh, police department has never had an outsider now i know that there's uh, you know when it had an elective sheriff they, there might have been some question of who people were but for all intents of purposes the person had um, roots within the agency and as a result this would be the first time in the history of miami dade police that they would be faced with the possibility of an outsider running their agency. It's inevitable. It's going to happen. I mean, it might not happen uh, the first election, the second election, know, the third election, but eventually an outsider will come. But before we jump our guns, because there are many people and many politicians in Miami-Dade that are saying, oh, wait, oh, wait, 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 wait. This hasn't passed yet. And that's right. It does have to go in front of a referendum. It does have to be placed on a ballot in November for the 2018 uh, election. But this is not the only thing on the uh, the ballot. There are other counties in Florida. Now, although the, they do have a sheriff, they've kind of mixed and matched the Florida Constitution with a uh, property adjuster. Uh, well, we don't elect one in our county, we we appoint one, or the tax collector, and so forth. And everybody, all these counties that have been doing this, and it's been a little (laughs) bit of a tidal wave, getting away with it, they point towards Miami-Dade. So as a result, there is a committee in Congress in in Florida here where every 10 years they look at items they want to put on ballots. Well, they... um, For a little bit of a surprise, because this item about an elected sheriff of Miami-Dade came up about a year and a half ago, and through some controversy that happened with the legislator (laughs) that wanted to put the bill through, he resigned from his position after making some racial remarks. He resigns, and so the bill is withdrawn. So pretty much Miami-Dade at that point said, well, well, that was close, but we got away from, from that scare. Well, some uh, legislators up in Tallahassee said not so fast. We like what we hear, and we think we're going to put it on the ballot. So as a result, it's coming on the ballot. Most likely the way it's going to read on the ballot, everybody's going to say, should uh, Miami-Dade County have an elected? And listen, there's 66 counties in Florida that have an elected constitutional sheriff. If you get the ballot in your hand, Most likely, everybody else in Florida is going to say, what the hell, are you special? So we'll be getting a sheriff. And there's a couple of decisions that are going to have to be made by the Miami-Dade County Commission if and when that passes. One of them is, who is or what is the Miami-Dade Sheriff Department? What will it look like? Will it be law enforcement only will it have a, uh, a component of criminal justice in the form of corrections. So they have to decide that. Currently you're looking at about a 300 million dollar budget for corrections, 550 million I believe for police. so we're up to about 850 and uh, let's give it a round number. Let's just say it's um, 800,000. Because they they'll be shaving some money off. I'm sorry, I made eight hundred million. My mind doesn't work with those big numbers. So let's just go with eight hundred million, and about five to six thousand sworn officers plus uh, their support cast, which probably would put them in the area around. Let's give it a nice round number: ten thousand. So this takes a huge chunk out of the budget. For Miami-Dade County. It erodes the power base of the mayor of Miami-Dade County. It kind of diminishes what the county commissioners would look like. I believe they're 12, 13, 112. I don't know how many are on the dais right now, but uh, besides being in charge of water parks and library, that's a lot of people with nothing to do. So this is a huge issue and a huge problem for an area that has been known to let's just say, bend a rule. So as a result, this is going to be an interesting issue. But the likelihood that Miami-Dade will have to fall in in conjunction with all the other counties in Florida and have an elected sheriff, everybody wants to be sheriff. Now, I'm mostly pointing towards the secondary article, not the first one I read, which is if if, if Miami had a sheriff, he would run, but electing a top cop is a bad idea. And this goes into Hylia Mayor Carlos Hernandez said he would consider running for sheriff of Miami-Dade County if voters approved the constitutional amendment in November that would require elections for county top uh, police job. Now, he goes on about his experience, 22 years, and they've got a misquote here in the article. It says he was police chief. He was uh, a lieutenant, uh, if I remember correctly, in Hialeah, with 22 years of experience. So here you have political hacks because they were cops They all of a sudden they want to get in. Ooh, 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 look at me. (gasps) That might not be a bad idea, but remember, this gentleman would be, I believe he's been out of uh, police work for 10, maybe 15 years. That's a long time to say I was a cop and, you know, You know, once a cop, always a cop. Okay, we got that, but that's a long stretch. And, uh, of course, in the Miami-Dade side, Commissioner Joe Martinez wants to run, and he was a lieutenant over in the Miami-Dade Police Department. Hell of a nice guy, and if I had the ability to vote, I would vote for Joe. Why? Because he's a cop's cop, and if you're a cop's cop, you're you're most assuredly going to win, or or at least have the backing of the, the troops. So I would have elected Joe. But the article goes on, and they start talking about how it's a bad idea to have an elective sheriff, and they start kind of pointing towards Broward and Scott Israel and and politicians. None of this could be further from the freaking truth. By and large, people that run for certain things have to have experience in them. So... Mom and pop with no police experience running for sheriff and winning in a county with 2.5 million residents is zero to none. So it's going to be a cop. Now, the issue here is it's not necessarily going to be a cop that came through the ranks of Miami-Dade County. Now, as I said in, in the beginning of this broadcast, they might win the first and second election with somebody that's from the ranks but eventually someone that wasn't from the ranks will get elected. I would play place close attention to people that also come from the city of Miami and they're high-ranking individuals over there too, which are extremely popular. They could make a run, maybe not in the near future, but eventually they will. And that would be a tremendous... Um, how, what is the word I'm looking for? That would be a scandal within the ranks of Miami-Dade. Would Miami-Dade Corrections go with them, three hundred million dollars, or they stay on their own as their own entity with Bobo badges? Hmm. When the split happened in 1970, the badges remained the same. The authority was pretty much the same one with law enforcement. Duties, one with correctional duties. The ID spell it out. The resolution from the Board of County Commissioners in Miami Dade in 1970 spelled it out too, that they would both resemble the same uh, functions as the sheriff's office and the badge the same as being part of their history. So Miami Dade Corrections doesn't go and they stay alone. Well, they're not going to keep that badge. I'll tell you that, and. If they do go, that's $800 to $900 million out of the coffers. Wow. What, what in the world can you be in charge of after that? So that's an interesting one. Keep your eye on that developing story as the left goes crazy and nuts trying to figure out how they can manipulate an issue as important as being the top cop in a place like Miami-Dade. Hmm? Huh? Now, to the meat and potato. Where's the bugler? Yeah. Bugler's getting worse every time I hear him. School security. Everybody's an expert. Everybody wants to do something. Well, we're going to give our little two cents, in and, and let's see how we go. Now, there's a couple of things we want to look at here. And one of them is we want to stay away from the national hysteria that you have to turn in your assault rifles, which is really an AR 15. And maybe even high capacity magazines, um, your school lunch when you were 10, um, your library card that's been expired. There's a lot of things the left wants us to turn in. But one of the things that we definitely have to do is we have to come up with some innovative ideas on protecting our schools because there are nuts out there, there are terrorists out there, there are evil and bad people out there that they will wait not even a second to manipulate it if it takes too long. Florida has really moved on this subject And they've come up that, I believe it's by June of 2018, even though school will go into recess during the summer, and I believe they start end of August, September, uh, there will be a school resource officer in place in every school in Florida. You're seeing over and over on the news in Florida, there are a lot of uh, sheriffs complaining in certain municipalities that have schools too, I don't have the money for this. So they're basically taking the money out of uh, other grants that they've had. They're kind of stretching them like uh, community policing and and DARE and all these other programs. And they're saying, well, uh, this will buy us time. But there's a shortfall. Basically, whenever there's a shortfall, that means you, the taxpayer, are going to fit the bill eventually in the future. So... Whether it's Florida, Georgia, California, wherever you're from, school security issues are going to impact your wallet at some point. But here on LPoliceRadio.com, we have always advocated about having a spot for retirees. We have had many shows. It's one of our hot topics that we've said there's a lot of people retiring leaving. A wealth of information is going out the door on a lot of agencies. 20, 25, 30, 35, 40 years of experience. And a lot of old timers, not necessarily because of the money, because their retirements are pretty good, they are a little bored at home. And they would love nothing more than achieving two goals. One, getting maybe a little part-time on the side maybe two to three days a week, in law enforcement to supplement the active officers that are out there and a small little stipend to cover their uh, insurance policies that they uh, usually pay a portion out of pocket. So everybody would be happy on these end. It is so important that these retirees keep functioning more and more we're seeing a lot of them um, pass up, pass away. And I can tell you from experience, and we're going to talk about that a little later on this show. And it's important. So we get that experience going. We get those old-timers geared up and cranked up and gives them a little bit more life into them. And the benefit to the community is outweighed tremendously. And on a a part-time basis, it's uh, pretty reasonable economically for everybody. But they're not looking at this. They're not looking at this, folks. They're talking crazy concepts about arming teachers. Now, here's two points that I have against arming teachers. Now, I don't have a problem with arming a teacher that is an NRA or very accredited school of firearms certified as an instructor, okay? And you now want to be armed within the confines of the school grounds. Don't have a problem with that. Now, the other thing that we would have to cover with that specific teacher slash instructor firearms guy or girl, we would have to now have a distinguishing suit distinguishing costume, distinguishing something, so when the good guys rush into the building, they don't mess up with the teacher, assuming that that's the shooter, and bang, bang, you're dead. So those two issues need to be corrected. As I said in my intro, I can go back and think about fifth grade and my English teacher, and horrified to even think that old lady with a gun. Now, some people in law enforcement, and you know who I'm talking about, you've seen them out on the reins next to you, have no business touching a gun, but they have a uniform and a badge, so the gun comes with the costume. They're there. Imagine a part-time gunslinger slash teacher slash... Whatever's going on in the teacher world nowadays, because if they're either not on strike, they're sleeping with a minor, and you're putting all this in one basket, so I personally would stay away from that concept right now. But the sheriff over in Paul County, Grady Judd, has I believe it's called the Patriots Program. We're going to look at we're going to look that up and verify that that's the name of of the program. And on that program, they kind of certify you, not only in firearms, they certify you as um, reserve deputy sheriff. So there's a little bit more to it. So that means you have the duty, you have the training, you have the duty to act, you have the authority. There's a different mindset that goes with that. So I really like that program. I think that if the teachers is going to raise their hand, that's, Very valid. That's very honorable on their part. And that should be recognized. But just to say, okay, you know, bring in the the pistola tomorrow. You're good. And then you show up with a Mexican sobrero and two two revolvers. That's not a good idea. So we want to regulate it. And what better program than to make them reserve deputy sheriffs through this program? Like it? think it needs more study and maybe a little trimming of the fat as far as hours, well, because let's be real, they're not really going to work out in the street. They're going to just do duties within the school grounds. So it's a good idea. So imagine, imagine if you will, like the guy says on, on Twilight Zone, a world where there would be retirees, okay, Law enforcement working maybe two to three days in the school and certified firearms, reserve deputy sheriff teachers, and school resource. That's a pretty good world. We might be missing a couple of other things. Now, one thing in specific that... I'm surprised I really have not heard anybody talk about it. I know why I didn't hear it on the media, because there are a bunch of goofs and they really don't know. But we're going to post it on uh, lpoliceradio.com. There is a thing called a shot spotter. And what it is, it's it's kind of like a microphone type of system that picks up the sound waves of a gunshot and it identifies it with a pretty much pinpoint accuracy as a result to where that gun, gunshot came from. Uh, we're gonna. I'm going to read one article, and I know we broke away from the news segment, that'll give you an idea how good this thing is. Every school should have one of these. Because if I'm on a ca- campus and boom, boom, boom rings out, then there is someone monitoring the logistics of where that shot came from. And you can minimize the movement of the shooter. So I think that that would be a great idea as well. So let's let's start piggybacking on our ideas here. Certified teacher reserve sheriff's program, teaching them firearms and giving them the authority to act. School resource officer in every school that costs money, take out the credit card. And getting hooked up with our retired folks as they leave, hook them up into a two- to three-day program at the school of their choice close to their house where they can walk or jog or, you know, wear a pair of shorts and, and swim over there, armed to the teeth, ready for action. And if you want to throw some veterans and they qualify, because not all veterans will qualify for this depending on their status and, of course, their occupation. You know, they would have to show some type of proficiency. So based on that, we could create something within that realm, and now we're going to add the shots spotter. We're going to throw that into the mix too. A couple more things that we can throw in. There's a device that locks doors. We're going to post that on lpoliceradio.com as well. A little bit on the expensive side, because imagine, uh, as if you can, like the Twilight Zone says, a world that has these locked doors that it would be like a plate that prevents the door from opening. And if there's an expense to that, you would have to pretty much... Have every door in every school have one of these things. So that might be a long-term objective, maybe strategically placed. Um, I think uh, with that whole team that we're assembling, they can go around specific schools and identify who would need this and who wouldn't. Um, Teach on concealment and cover. Teach areas that are a little bit more safer and sound for students to be in. Um, the crazy concept of lock yourself in a closet, then having the entire media world tell everybody where you're locked in, was a real bad thing for the protocol of school safety. Um, pretty much the bad guys know you go straight to the classroom, open up the closet, they're all in there. So those ideas have to be changed, radicalized, and so forth. It's a start. I have no doubt that we're going to succeed nationwide in the school issue. But these evil individuals will move their concentration somewhere else, and it might be a playground. It might be a theme park. It might be anything. So just because we've safeguarded our airport, and now our schools, the fight's not over. We've got to continue fighting. Now, I told you I was gonna read this, so I'm gonna go ahead and read this article, and you get an idea about what I'm talking about with this uh, gadget. Bigwig in mayor's office of criminal justice nabbed with gun and car in Queens. An off-duty bigwig in the mayor's office of criminal justice was busted in Queens after cops found a gun in the car that was sitting in authority that was sitting in authorities said Sunday Reagan Stevens 42 a deputy director of the youth and strategic initiative whatever the hell that is was sitting in the back of a Park 20, uh, 02 infinity with two men on 107th near 106th avenue in Jamaica when a nearby shot spotter detected five shots fired about 10:20 p.m. on Saturday Cops searched the Infinity and discovered the nine millimeter gun in the glove compartment with a serial number scratched off, an additional fence, and single spent shell casings. So they even had the casings inside the car. The gun, which carries an eight round clip, there's no such thing as a clip, it's called a magazine, folks, contained three rounds when police discovered it. According to law enforcement sources, nobody in the vehicle would admit to owning the gun, how the hell did that get in here? So all three were arrested. Authorities said police were investigating whether the weapon was responsible for setting off the ShotSpotter alert, which it probably was, but that's why you have the shell casing in the car. ShotSpotter is a citywide system of highly tuned microphones designed to detect gunfire and and pinpoint its locations. Stevens was charged with two counts of criminal possession of a weapon. (laughs) And she works for Mayor Bigberg. Boy, talk about a leftist meltdown over at their office. But see how effective this um, gadget works? Kind of pinpoints the locations with these high-tech microphones. And they can kind of pinpoint the, the geographical area. Well, you know, cops pulled up here. Three people sitting in a car. Get out of the car. Pop, pop, boom, boom. Search here. Search there. I got a casing. I got a gun. I smell smoke and gunpowder. Next thing you know, all three are under arrest. So for schools, this would be ideal. Ideal. There's a lot of other things that you can have ballistic shields. You can have a lot of other things in place. Unfortunately, these are the times that we live in. Um, I know there's a lot of talk about metal detectors and stuff like that. Um, that would probably depend on certain districts and regions, because there's a huge cost to that, and who's going to monitor that? Next thing you know, it, it takes forty-five minutes to get inside the school. So, we 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 have to have a response to something imminent that might come. We can't think like we're in a bubble. It's never coming. That's not the, the proper attitude to have in law enforcement. So if we get all the liberals out of the way, all the civilians out of the way, and God knows all the idiots in the media out of the way, and they really allow people to have half a brain on this subject, we gave you here, right here on El Police Radio, three topics. Our hot topic number one, retirees, bring them back two to three days a week, school of their choice close to their house. Bingo, right in there, and they can serve there. And the cost would be a lot less. School resource officers, well now you don't have to confine them to a little school desk inside the school, confine there all the time. If you've got these retiree guys there, you can free him up pretty good. Maybe he can now scan two to three or maybe four schools because you've got the manpower in each school. And we've also talked about the teacher um, reserve deputy type program where you have the authority to act, the training to act, and you're just not a teacher with a gun. And, if we, of course, we have to identify distinguishing outfit for that individual. Being a reserve deputy, you would be carrying your own badge as well, and that would be a... a defining aspect for those arriving units of who you might be. That and there will be other things in place slowly being adapted and changed. The mindset has to change, of course. It's a huge undertaking. It comes at a price, and it comes at the expense of your wallet. Do we owe it to our kids? Absolutely we do. Long overdue. But the answer is not necessarily surrendering guns because the way it works, folks, good guys will surrender their guns, but bad people won't. So I don't know about you, but I like to go to a gunfight with a gun. Now, the 9 training tip. duty carry. Everybody has a different position on off-duty carry, but I'm going to tell you what the 09 training group's position is. You should be carrying the weapon that you feel most comfortable with. You should be carrying in a consistent manner, meaning if you're riding on your right side, if it should be hopefully within your waistband or inside the waistband. Ankles and stuff like that might be too slow of a response. Remember that most of the time that when you go to use your weapon, the bad guys already acted. That's why you're on the defense. They're on the offense. So by the time you go to act, game started already. So bending down and going for the ankle might be too late. So you want to keep it inside your waistband and at the ready and consistent carry. Don't change the place of the weapon because if the matter goes down, then you might not know where the weapon is. Safeties, there should be no safety. If you need to carry conceal with the safety on, then you might as well leave the thing in the safe at home. No safety. There's no time. Remember, the bad guy has to drop already. And lastly, support hand. not Your shooting hand, but your support hand. Should be free, ready, and available to grab and dial 911. You don't want to have your cell phone on, let's say, your shooting hand side. Going for a gun and trying to go for a cell phone at the same time will prove to be a little difficult. So your support hand has to use that function. You're going to tell the dispatcher real quick after you dial 911 I'm in a shootout location. I'm off-duty, retired, citizen, lawful, pretty much a quick description of what you're wearing, what the subject is doing. This is very quick, folks. Get down. Don't worry about what the is asking you. Give uh, a location or an address if you have one, and then tell the dispatcher, I'm dropping the phone and I'm leaving the line open so you can hear. And then you can go ahead and engage. Now, you might not have the opportunity to make that call. The call might come after the event. But if you do, and you've seeked covering concealment, hopefully, if you've had the time before you engaged, then you should call 911. Remember, very quick description of what is occurring, who you are, what you're dressed as, and that you're engaging the subject and your phone microphone will be left on. Place the phone on the floor, drop it gently, don't crash it down so it cracks and breaks, but you want to have a recording of this device. Now, if I'm recording you and you're going to engage the subject, what are some things that you need to be saying? Well, what you need to be saying, drop that weapon, don't resist, Stop it. Don't do that. All these commands need to be coming out. Why? Because you're giving direction. Drop that weapon and so forth. So important for survival. Practice, practice, and practice. Train, train hard. But when you train, train consistently. From the position of your carry, make sure that you can withdraw that weapon as fast as possible and engage the target from multiple positions of the body. Shooting from the hip, shooting from the down position, shooting from the up position. Remember, you just don't only shoot at paper targets. In real fights, the paper target is not paper, and it shoots back. Now, it's time for mm -hmm, the conversation. Recently, as a couple of uh, days ago, I lost another very good friend. And this would be the second in less than 45 days. And they both hurt. They both took an emotional toll on me. And the last one was a dear friend that will be Very missed. You know, I'm going to have a show on who he was. And he was a big supporter of what I was doing on the radio show. And from early on, from 2007. And I want to talk a little bit about him. I want to talk about his sense of humor. I want to talk about his personality that at times was so confusing to so many people but it was bigger than life but there's that question that i have to ask i asked when it happened when he passed away and i'm going to ask you today you see he had gotten sick i had last spoke to him before he died maybe 3 weeks prior And he had an addiction problem. If you don't talk about the truth, it won't set you free. And his addiction problem was alcohol. He had called me three times consecutively intoxicated. The third time I told him, what's the point of giving me a call and you're intoxicated? You don't even have the ability to speak to me. He apologized and said, you're absolutely right. I'll do better. I'll call you tomorrow, pal. Tomorrow never came. A Couple of weeks went by, three weeks went by. I called him maybe twice during those three weeks, straight to voicemail, which was not an unrare rare occurrence with him. Most of the time, he didn't answer the phone. And he wasn't tech savvy, so he didn't know how to get the messages. Wasn't very interested in those things. So you just basically had to be patient and wait. He served for 34 years in uniform, retired, and two and a half years later, he's dead. His addiction overwhelmed him, his addiction became his God. His addiction consumed him at all levels, physically, mentally, and of course, spiritually. His addiction for alcohol didn't have an alarm clock. It could have started any day and it could have ended at any time. It brought to him a lot of health concerns. He ends up in a hospital is no longer in the South Florida area. We would learn that he had moved very quietly to Palm Beach. There's nobody tracking him. There's not a support base. And he's drinking heavily. He ends up in the hospital. His wife brings him. And he's in bad shape. His body swolled up. The color of his skin was yellow. He was a diabetic. And with the alcohol and the the amount of consumption, this was not a good recipe. We found out maybe seven days in his stay. I guess the wife started to worry because the doctor said he might not make it. So she reaches out. She reached out to his former partner, and she told him, he's in bad shape, the doctor says he might not make it, and I don't know what to do. The partner now says, well, I'll I'll go up there and see him, There's some confusion about when you can and when you cannot come see him. But that was resolved. They found out that visitation was 24 hours. He rushes up there the very next day, and he sees him. Now, he was in a diabetic coma. He came out of it. It appeared, and it always gave the appearance that he was doing better. Now the partner had networked with all of us that had retired with him, telling us what is occurring, keeping us up to date. God bless him for that. He did what a partner does. He carries and he watches your six. And he basically kept on telling us he's got a long road, but he looks like he's getting better. We started formulating plans to go see him. Some people in my um, general area, and we were going to carpool down to Palm Beach. One of my close friends and my partner said, I'm headed south towards Miami on the 5th. I return on the 8th. I'll see him as I go down. He never made it. At 4.05 that morning I received a text which I didn't see till 5. Jake had passed away. And it was difficult because I had to ask this one question over and over again. Did he repent? His said that The Sunday that he was there, maybe three days before he died, he kept on saying, Jesus, help me, it hurts. He had aches and pains all over his body. His body had swollen up. Help me, Jesus. I wouldn't want nothing more. Then my dear friend of 30 years, to accept Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, and to live internally for eternity, today I ask you the same question, are you ready? In the blink of an eye, it can happen. If you train up for so many things in life, but the most precious one you forget, you leave people that care about you devastated. Friend of mine, also in law enforcement, was one of his commanding officers at one time. Asked me a simple question. Do you think he accepted the Lord before he died? God knows I want to say yes. But I don't know. Don't have a doubt. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it's easy. Hear the steps. Recognize you're a sinner. Talk to the Lord. Ask him for forgiveness. Have a pure heart when you ask. Have that heart that you could say, I've done things I haven't been proud of. Forgive me, Lord. Cleanse me with your precious blood that you shared. Shed for me on the cross in Calvary. And... Save my soul. I accept you as my Lord and Savior, Jesus. And then your road and your relationship with him starts. It's not an easy road. It's a thin, narrow, and difficult one to walk. But at the end, you'll have so much to look forward to. I don't know if my friend was saved. Somebody told me, well, you know, you people in that religion, maybe you can pray for his soul. It's not the way it works. God gave us free will to make the decision prior to death, not after death. And... You can just look at the scripture and the story of the rich man and Lazarus. The separation between both. There is self-will that God allows us to have. Are you prepared to make such a critical mistake and say, this is a, a fairy tale, I'm not doing this? I encourage you not to. I encourage you to look towards the Lord Jesus Christ as the true living God. The way, the truth, and the life. I will miss my friend. And I don't want to lose any more in this way. Sometimes your mind says to you, Well, maybe I could have gotten down there. But it was like another friend of mine in law enforcement that committed suicide, he blew his brains out. His team was devastated. The anguish ran through their face. When we made eye contact in the funeral home, they broke down in tears. I know what was killing them was the guilt because they were all replaying in their minds. Maybe I could have stopped it. It was that little thing he might have said or he might have done, and I sat on it. But I had a message from them that day. I told them, you might have had the ability to do that but God didn't send you to do it. If God would have sent you, you would have done it. That says a lot. If you believe in what I said, get in the Bible-based church, making it the root as Jesus, nothing else. None of these fancy churches that... the, the prosperity churches and so forth, no one that will save your soul, a church that talks about the rapture, a church that talks about the living God. Study the word because he'll talk to you. What's up next? Well, we are up to uh, podcast or episode number 32 and we're moving uh, quite quite quickly um, on our podcast. Our numbers are doing pretty good. People are becoming a lot of interest as far as questions and so forth. That always makes us very, very happy. And when we cover uh, podcast number 32, we're going to talk about Libertad or Liberty. And we're going to talk specifically about in the area of the left, we're going to talk about how they operate. Would they come to America? If they do come to America, how can we discover that they're here? Are they here already? We're going to look at that and a whole bunch of other things on this series. And I'm going to give a little dis- brief description of 1959, Havana, Cuba, how that all happened. Who the hell are these people called castro that existed so long, what's going over there in Cuba now, and what the hell does that have to do with law enforcement and me here? Well, we'll explain that and a lot more on episode 32. We have a long, long list of shows, and I do want to say that there was an idea that I had, and I liked the idea. It was uh, called but we didn't I didn't really have a name for it, but it was going to be the commission or or the or, or the crew or the group and um, it was of the distinguished panel and we were going to have the rangemaster, the gunsmith, the marine, the cop and the clown. The clown was my buddy that recently passed away. He encouraged me to do it. He didn't want to come out here, and he told me, I'm not good to do that. You know that. His stuff was off the wall, spontaneous. It wasn't scripted. And he told me, But you keep on doing what you're doing. You keep on doing what you're doing. And for all intents and purposes, I will continue doing as he wished. It's been my honor to be your host on El Police Radio. How do you make contact with us? Well, you go to ElPoliceRadio.com. Scroll all the way down to the bottom, and there you'll see the icons. Now, Facebook, which is still around technically today. Twitter, well, they're still there too as the federal government gets ready to hammer them. Or are they really hammering them, or are they going to hammer conservatives? On our next podcast, we'll talk about that. But for now, you can find us there. Subscribe. Subscribe. Hit the button. You can go to lpoliceradio.com. You can go to Police radio um, podbeam. We're on there, too, and subscribe. 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 Because subscribing takes away the middleman. And it will be content, content to your ears. And there is no middleman. Facebook, my friends, is turning left. Twitter is turning left. They're all going left. Why? Because they've, they're afraid to lose the power. And they're pulling out all the stops before the end comes. And that includes social media, which the left, the left hate. What is the number one priority of the left? Who is the left? The Democratic Party. There are a bunch of socialists. And they took over the Democratic Party. And they are known as Bolshevik communists. Well, that left, their number one priority in life, control. Control. Control your life. Have you pay more taxes. Take your weapons. control, control, control. Control. On the next podcast, we'll talk about these things lpoliceradio.com has been my honor, my pleasure, and we'll see you soon.